later, the identity of one famous singer will be revealed in our first ever unmasking. Oh my God! This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 233, for the week of January 7th, 2019. I am probable Lady Gaga, David T. Cole, and I'm here with affected British accent, Sarah D. Bunting. Fancy a beach holiday, governor. Swimsuit wedgie, Tara Ariana. Yank. Tone deaf <laughs> unicorn, Cat Angus. Hey. And up <laughs> Peacock, Jocelyn Getty. I got feathery pants and I'm ready to dance. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to another episode and our first episode of Extra Hot Great in 2019. Before we get into it, uh, just one piece of site business. Um, You might remember a few episodes ago, people were asking us if we had like a tip jar or something like that or a Patreon account to um, throw us a a little something something. And we didn't really have it set up. And we said, well, if you want to like go to our ad form and fill it out. We can work out something really stumbly and awkward that way in the meantime. And we had a couple people do that. So we just want to say thank you very much to uh, Sarah and Joelle. Other people have asked, well, I would like to do it, but I want to set it up for something, you know, where I can give you a couple bucks a month. Uh, I don't have that set up yet. I'm looking into it. There's a few options, including Patreon, but there's also another option coming up with our podcast host that I might go into. So if you could just give me a couple more weeks, I'll, figure that out and we'll announce that then thank you everybody uh for your encouragement and uh for kind of forcing me to do that because uh you know <laughs> nobody's getting rich off podcasts except for like mark Marin. so uh it's appreciated to help keep the uh, the lights on here and with that i will throw it to tar yes thank you all so much and uh now let us welcome our first time guests also podcast wives kat angus and jocelyn getty of the i hate it but i love it podcast welcome welcome Thank you so much for having us. We are thrilled to be here. We are thrilled to have you to discuss these two extremely momentous topics. We are here (laughs) to discuss the two, I'm going to say, buzziest uh, reality premieres of 2019 thus far. Of course, I'm referring to Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club on MTV and The Masked Singer on Fox. Let's talk about Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club first. You both, Kat and Jocelyn, are much younger and more vibrant than us. So I'm going to throw it to you guys to tell us all about club culture and how important this is. Just kidding. I I, I don't have the impression that you go to clubs a lot, but I'll just say watching this premiere episode, which was just a sneak peek. It was like a meet my staff sort of a thing. The real premiere is tonight as we're recording this. So we have not seen it yet. But this is like a knockoff Vanderpump Rules sort of situation with Lindsay as Lisa Vanderpump. And (laughs) it made this whole thing, it made going to a club seem like a fucking nightmare just from top to bottom. And what what we're meeting in the premiere is all of these VIP hosts, mostly from L.A., who seem like they're basically tantamount to sex workers. Kat, what was your impression of whatever the fuck is going on here? I have never hated a place I've never been to this much before. I don't want to hang out with any of these people. I don't understand the whole Greek Stefan creative director. Creative director guy. Yes. Like, 
Every every time he gave a confessional, it was just like this place has everything. Yep. It has bartender washing old man's feet, and it has a man eating bread out of his own asshole. And I just none of it seemed good for me. And it just it uh, I haven't seen Vanderpump Rules, but it definitely seemed like Jersey Shore, but in Greece. And with mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan is there sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Jocelyn, yeah. what were your first impressions? Well, I mean, I would say in the sense that it completely accurately captures what it's like being a club. This is maybe the best reality show slash horror show of all time. Um, It's absolutely impossible to distinguish any one person from the show from another one. So uh, good luck to anyone who's going to watch this program. I cannot tell you what anyone's names are. Um, In general, too, it it reminded me a lot of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place (laughs) and specifically the one line where they say that the entire show was eligible for being put in slow motion, including the dialogue. Like (laughs) the entire show that I have seen is all slow motion shots of people walking places and it's clear Mm -hmm. they're straining for footage. Yeah. Yeah, I I put in my notes that I felt like the reason that all of these VIP hosts were going on a reality show is so it would make it harder for people to steal their selfies off Instagram for fake um, (laughs) social media profiles (laughs) to catfish people with, which I assume happens to every one of these very hot people all the time. Sarah, what were your thoughts on that or on the show in general? Um, Because I get the distinct feeling that Bravo passed on this. Mm. As part of its um, apres ski, below deck, below deck yep. med, um, pump rules, gonorrhea, petri dish, empire. Yes, Vanderpump rules. I guess is the uh, is the uh, jewel in that crown of mm-hmm. shit. Um, obviously, <laughs> I'm going to watch the hell out of this because I watched <laughs> all those other shows except Vanderpump. Um, but I like, despite the fact that this was not a real episode we did get sneak peeks that suggested that everyone is so loathsome that i will not be able to resist watching (laughs) um i do feel like i am in some cultures married to that one woman with the silvery thong because of how much and how often (laughs) i've seen her butt cheeks um, which is fine i hope she's nice and kind to animals um but yeah it really I went back and read some of my coverage of uh, that Lindsay show that was on OWN. Oh, yeah. Which was like um, Oprah's Lindsay Lohan workfare program that was just <laughs> like a disastrous train wreck and how not to do recovery. And I was like, I just, I mean, if if this is her, if this is her like, not comeback, but if this is her like job and she's taking it seriously and staying sober and getting out of bed occasionally before two 30 in the afternoon. That's great. But the fact that there is this, um, like, you know how all the aspiring models ended up having to talk about Tyra Banks in the latter <laughs> cycles of America's Next Top Model. It was like, she yeah. invented weaves. Like, no, she uh, <laughs> clearly she didn't look at the shit that's on her head right now. <laughs> the, one of the, um, ambassadors, Arf, says that <laughs> Lindsay Lohan is quote very respectable. She's an icon. Yeah. I was going to well, bring up the icon part. <laughs> I yes, that part is true. Um, respectable, not sure, but yes, this is um bunt nip. Clearly, I mean it's disastrous, and there's basically no show 
there, but I think maybe the editors know that because they cut from that one girl with the pink hair talking about how she, one of her specialties is VIP management Mm -hmm. to her jiggling her butt cheeks on the bar. And I was (laughs) like, okay, I feel like MTV understands why we're all here and I will continue watching, but I completely understand why nobody else would and really nobody else should. Well, let's go back to Kat since she she uh, she leapt at the icon line as well. <laughs> is Lindsay Lohan an icon, and is this what she should be doing right now? In your opinion, I mean, she I can't think of what she should be doing. I don't know how to fix her life. I don't think anybody <laughs> does. But I mean, I just I love all. I definitely love all of the supporting cast. Just trying to build up how important Lindsay Lohan is. Mm-hmm. Like the one one of them was like, I'd never heard of the Lindsay Lohan Beach Club before. Oh, really? You hadn't before this show <laughs> that they invented it for? Weird. <laughs> I feel like the show is just going to be watching these people make fools of themselves. And then Lindsay comes in to yell at them a little bit. And then there's a confessional of her being like, I'm an important businesswoman. And then back to people getting drunk again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Pantera or... Fantods or whatever his name is, Panos. Panos. And his legit fantastic lip stain, P.S., are mm-hmm. just going to be like, I already would cross the street to kick this individual in the ankles. And I'm excited to see more of kickable Panos. What about the show isn't completely exhausting? Like the people, Lindsay Lohan's posturing that she's actually a respectable tycoon of some sort (laughs) they have a chain of clubs dave step back just having been witness to the introduction of like the five or six and they're all vip like Uh, if you're not vip don't bother showing up well if vip is the base then what are we uh but this is very exhausting to watch the people make me anxious that they are really positioning themselves as like, this is a career moment. I know like that's editing. It's 35 minutes into it before somebody utters something, something job opportunity dot, dot, dot for a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when Susie hear that, you're like, Oh, pff, all right. We all know it's fake, but for them to actually plaster that poster on the wall was kind of surprising. Well, it is kind of funny that, you know, the aftermarket for reality stars is already go to clubs, get paid, you know, five figures to pour shots for people. So, like, this sort of feels like it's cutting out the middleman. Anyway, Jocelyn, let's let's use this question to segue from from this to the show that we really all want to talk about. Is this more or less respectable for Lindsay Lohan to do than it would be for her to dress up like a deer and sing under a mask (laughs) next to Nick Cannon? Well, I think we all know the answer to that, but um, (laughs) yes, absolutely. This is the worst of the two options. I mean, sure, I guess she's sort of building a brand here via attrition warfare, wherein she just says the word brand a lot and that kind of boss. That's that's her other favorite word. Yeah. And that sort of moves the low end brand from what we all know it to be, which is Coke pants and DUIs. (laughs) Certainly, if if she could do us all a favor and maybe just slowly, slowly use this as her audition vehicle for the mask singer, like maybe in every episode for her one obligatory appearance with her bad staff, she could just show up with more of an animal costume each time. Mm-hmm. And then we could just forget about this entirely. <laughs> yeah. What would she over- do? What would she dress up as? Fox. Because yeah. her red hair. Okay. That, 
That's true. She would do something that would be immediately apparent. Oh, some of the some of the uh, panelists on The Masked Singer actually guessed her a few times. Oh, that's true. They did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the world knows the level at which Lindsay Lohan operates, and it is Dancing with the Stars, Masked Singer level, you know, celebrity appearance for sure. That said, The Masked Singer is kind of fascinating, guys. I don't hate it. Cat, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, well, when you said you we were going to do the show, I had literally never heard anything about it. And so mm-hmm. I was just like, ooh, what is this new Fox drama that I haven't heard about? <laughs> I was just like, I wonder what secrets he's hiding behind his mask. And then Marvel's I turned it on and realized. Singer. Yeah. Exactly. And then when I realized that it was a competitive reality show, for a minute, I forgot how competitive celebrity reality shows actually work. And I thought mm-hmm. for a second, maybe they did get like Adele and like Mariah Carey on here. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, I saw the celebrity uh, judges, judging panel or like just the celebrity guessers they have and <laughs> yeah. immediately just came crashing down to earth and was like, oh, OK, there are no there are technically celebrities on the show, but not really. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Lindsay, uh, Lindsay and Bobby made the point on the Who Weekly podcast that like none of the masked singers is going to be more famous than anyone on the judges panel. So like when Robin Thicke is your high watermark or I guess Ken Jong, I don't know, maybe they're tied fame wise. Um, everyone else is going to have to come in under there, including, as we saw at the end of the first episode, football guy question mark they were like went crazy like i have no idea who this is like well and in the second episode when they're like previously on the mask singer they're like you'll never guess who was behind the mask and i was like no i never would correct correct yes (laughs) i will say jumping ahead not a spoiler but in episode two which we saw via screener so we'll get to that later but i think the caliber of the celebrity goes up a little bit based on some very obvious clues we figured out, and it's not going to be football players all the way down, I think. Wait, right. you think the person in episode two is of higher caliber than the guy in episode one? Uh, yes, and all we right. can talk about that offline because we can't yeah, really talk about it right now. It's all embargoed, but um, tell you what, I'll I'll tell you offline, and then I'll report back next week to see if I'm correct in my guess on who <laughs> was ultimately unmasked. Quick sidebar, the... Fox is so convinced that this is such a buzzy show, and they were right, that even the screeners for critics are totally bleeped and blurred for everything. Every time somebody guessed correctly, the picture was blurred, their lips were blurred, so you couldn't even uh, lip read, and Tara guessed what one of the non-Unmasked singers was, and she's totally right. So we have two people that we're pretty sure we know we're we're in episode two, and I would say they were both more famous than... The football player, for sure. I just thought it was hilarious that Fox was like, um, yeah, absolutely. All critics can get screener copies of the series finale of The Americans. But no, 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 no. You cannot know what D-list person (laughs) dressed up as a thing (laughs) and and decided to sing a song on this show. (laughs) Like, it's really funny. I'll say this much, though, for Fox. I think that's the ideal way to watch this show, because with everyone blurred out and beeped out, it just looks as though they're so excited by the identity of this person (laughs) that no one can stop uncontrollably swearing for a full 10 minutes (laughs) at the end of every show. It is hysterically funny. I laughed very inappropriately hard, and I would really like to recommend they keep it up. It was 
comedic how yeah. much the bleeps were in there, though, because they're bleeping out so much information that it was like <laughs> something on South Park or something, like a parody of it. But also, I, in my mind, I was imagining it was the killing word from Dune that they were saying over and over again, which was very funny. All right. So let's talk about the first episode, which every we can speak about freely. So the, it seems to be a consensus on Twitter, at least, that the peacock is Donny Osmond. What, it's got to be Donny Osmond, right? Yeah. I, I buy that. Yeah. I think... I did have to love the guess, like, oh, could it be Hugh Jackman under there? No, it could not. <laughs> I, I did not. love the Johnny Weir guess from oh, Nicole yes. Scherzinger. Like, I thought that was a, like, fun guess. And I was like, at least you know who that is and that he probably would maybe consider, totally. well, yeah. being a yeah, judge he would on him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's not him. It's Johnny Osmond. No. And then Robin Thicke being like, no, X is too tall. Like, oh, yeah, that's the reason that it's not Hugh Jackman. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the other one that I thought I guessed was the unicorn who was in the first episode. And I feel fairly certain that it's Tori Spelling. Yeah, that's I what I also thought. This is yeah. like, I was so excited to have like, because while I was watching it, I was also like looking up online what other people thought ah. who these people were. Uh -huh. um, I would like wait until the end of the performance and make little notes and then cross check. And I was like, I think it has to be Tori Spelling because it's too tall to be Nicole Richie and da da da. And then during the last part of the interview, yeah. the unicorn dropped a hing, which, <laughs> and with this listeners know, is a Tori Spelling trademark. And I was like, that is absolutely Tori Spelling. But I was only going to continue watching if Tara disagreed with me on that point. And since oh. she doesn't, I'm just going to follow things on Twitter because I don't. It's one of those shows that definitely is like results based and I don't have the patience. This is one of those shows that they need the equivalent of NFL Red Zone for, which is just yep. it pops yes. on your TV whenever the exciting touchdown reveals happen. This That would probably <laughs> do for a lot of people. I enjoyed the ride, though. It was it's you know, it is what it is, but it's it's got a hook, man. It's got a hook. Do you think any of these people are actually singing live in those costumes nope. or is it pre-recorded and they're just dancing yep. around? Yep. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I bet you're they, right. Yeah, they absolutely can't be. I mean, they're, yeah. they have enormous masks in the way of their mouths and none of them are really prepped for performing on a, a stage of that size and doing even the worst choreography. Yeah. So. <laughs> in those costumes with that weight, like even singing yeah. without sounding belabored would be impossible. Yeah. Those costumes are amazing, though. They're beautiful. Like, I really yeah. hope it gets nominated for costume design because it deserves it. They are really cool to look at and like there's a huge amount of detail in them. So, yeah, I, I'll mm -hmm. give it credit for that. Sorry. Who do you think the deer is? Just some lug guy we don't know, know anything about? Because no they were guessing mixed martial arts guy or wrestler. <laughs> yeah, or I think it's Peyton Manning. Mm. I want it to be Peyton Manning, actually, is what I should say. Yeah. I think the monster is T-Pain. Chicken parm, you taste so good. Come on, Peyton Manning. <laughs> be in there. <laughs> Sorry, you think the monster is who? Is T-Pain. Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really good singing voice. That's yeah. another thing I wanted to bring up is how um, they were trying to, like, <laughs> get out... <laughs> They kept, they kept saying things like, oh, that's a singer with a lot of soul. Like, oh, is this what you were told to say instead of that person sounds black? Because we yeah. know that's what you mean. <laughs> right. Ooh. Awkward. Yeah, there were there were a couple like that. Um, my notes also read that I hope someone comes out dressed as a measles molecule. <laughs> Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> that was one of the most fun parts of the show for me was 
observing what I perceive to be the real tension between Ken Jeong, a, a licensed physician, and Jenny uh-huh. McCarthy, who we asked to sit next to. shithead. Every time it cut to them, it felt like their exchanges were, who do you think that is? I don't know. Yep. And then a beat and then a harsh cutaway. And I also love like some of the people will just come out, won't say or do anything. And then Nicole Scherzinger will be like, who is that? Yeah. And then Jenny McCarthy's like, I agree with this other person that just said who it is. Like for the first episode, she has like one unique guess and everything else is, I agree with the, you know, thick here or whatever. It's like, okay. You are exactly who I thought you'd be on the show. Oh, and <laughs> Thick totally is like, he looks really frustrated at how excited the other three judges are getting. He's like substitute teacher with this little tie chain. Like, guys, guys, <laughs> it's obviously such and so like, okay, you know what? There's taking the job seriously. And then there's taking yourself really seriously. Mm-hmm. You're Robin Thick, and you are a judge on The Masked Singer. Next. <laughs> I will say, yes, as Dave mentioned, it's it's based on a Korean format. And I saw on Twitter last night that one of the costumes in the, in at least one Korean version was a fireplace. It was like just a head was like a fireplace mantle. I want, I want the, I mean, I gather that the people can, the singers can choose their costumes or, you know, are probably given a multiple choice and they can choose from certain options that are, that they're given, but like more, more stuff like fireplace, please. That's amazing. Oh, I completely agree. I'm a huge fan of the Twitter account for, uh, please forgive me if I mispronounce this, but Chitan, the, uh-huh, the Japanese otter uh, fairy baby mascot who seems to exist primarily to get into horrible scrapes, <laughs> largely by <laughs> trying to climb on top of something tall and then falling for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so any way we could further obscure their sight lines, create the potential for someone to fall off the stage. Yep. This is really, this has football in the groin all over it. Yep. <laughs> I think you're talking about like an American Ninja Warrior crossover where they I have am. to go through or wipe out or something like that. Yes, wipe out. Totally. I, I thought I, you know, I don't like usually like reality shows, but I thought this had a great hook and it was fun. I, you know, if I had my way, it would have changed a couple things here and there. But damn, you know, they got a winning formula here. This is going to be gangbusters, at least for the first season. Yeah, this is the perfect show for our era because it has a lot of downtime where you can look at your phone. Um, and you can use your phone as a tool to guess. So that's actually a bonus. Like it kind of keeps you second screen engaged where a lot of shows Mm -hmm. don't. Yeah. That's very good point. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it does have, I I feel like this first season is going to go really well, but it does have the potential to go terribly wrong (laughs) in case they accidentally misgender someone in case that ever becomes. Yes. Yeah. Or in terms of building potentially a comeback narrative for someone who doesn't deserve it. I was reading some online speculation that one of the contestants, I can't remember who, I think Monster, might have been Chris Brown. I was like, that would be no, no, terribly no, no, no. unpleasant. I saw that too. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope not. I hope it avoids this so I can watch these weirdly dressed people singing forever. But yeah, yeah I can... <laughs> I can also see a, an alternate universe in which we have one perfect season. The winner takes off their helmet and we all feel very bad and never watch it again. Uh, Kim.com? God damn it. I would love to see the Korean designers come and do the costumes for an episode, too. Yes. Did we miss any of the contestant guesses? There's six. So I think we only talked about four. So we have the lion we didn't talk about. Yeah. I have no idea. Who somebody thought was Lady Gaga. Like that was everyone. <laughs> 
mean, Lady Gaga doesn't really have anything else going on right now, so it's fine. <laughs> Been an embarrassingly slow year for her. I mean, part of the fun of the show for me was making extravagant guesses that even I know are going to be wrong, just to just presumably to tide me over until the eventual disappointing reveal. So, yeah, I like the guess that it's uh, Lady Gaga, or uh, some people think Carrie Underwood. Hmm. She. Yeah, I think she might even be too famous for this show. Yeah, I think, I think that's she also is. true. I think at the end, the only other thing I think I would change about this show is I was expecting some sort of um, lip sync for your life ending with the three uh, losers at the oh, end. Oh, the bottom. Because yeah. they just had like one, t- like, you know, the, the matchups, a loser goes to the end and then the judges decide who is going to lose and be unmasked. And I thought there would be some sort of additional <clears throat> competitive element to sort of you know, for the, for the panel and the audience to weigh against would have been good. Like a, like a, a, a medley that they all work together, but they all have their own part. And then they're really going to be crashing into each other. Like they're all on the <laughs> That'd be great. Stage, just like, yeah. <laughs> they have to do it on wires. Like they're flying around and shit too. Yeah. Oh, please. Football in the groin. Football in the groin. <laughs> oh, my groin. Football player in the groin. I want it so bad. Just these football players all dressed as animals being whipped around a theater stage at high velocity, trying to sing for their lives. This is the TV we need to bind our fractured society back together. <laughs> It's time to go around the dial talking about something we've been watching lately. First up, Tara Ariano. Obviously, I watched Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, the <laughs> new show on Netflix, which is the adaptation of the hugely popular book about tidying your disgusting house up, you pigs. Just kidding. Um, Marie Kondo is an adorable pixie of a woman, and she would never call you a pig. She would probably never even think to think it. She is so lovely on the show, which is fascinating. So I watch, obviously I watch the hoarder shows. This is not that this is not for people that have like, you know, compulsive problems. Mm, Maybe episode two, they probably have too much stuff and need to get serious about it, but it's mostly just about people who have some areas of disorganization in their life and want to make them slightly better. And it's, it's very pleasant and soothing to watch. Did anyone else watch it? I watched the first two episodes and found it incredibly relaxing. Yeah, she, because it's it's just like small fixes, like nothing is so overwhelming. First of all, and, and even in this where they're just like, let's see if your kitchen can be more efficient. It still takes like a month versus hoarders where they come in with like two fucking rubber bait bins and are like, we're going to turn you around in two days. Like, no, you're not. We found two garbage bags of cats. What the fuck? <laughs> exactly. There's no dead cats on tidying up with Marie Kondo. Although so what I appreciate episode, about it, I was worried that they did have dead cats. The second one? The second one. Every time I saw their cats going over their big mound of junk. Yeah. (laughs) They were the most hoardy ones for sure. The rest of them are just like small tweaks was probably all they needed to do. So I'll say a couple things about it that I appreciated. One is that they, there's not a lot of focus on, um, like they, it doesn't seem like this is something that you need to have any money at all to do. Like when she comes to help people, you know, organize drawers and stuff, Like she just brings regular boxes like shoe boxes and sometimes just the lid. Like it doesn't seem like there's any kind of you need to buy these 15 things to make your life work. Like it's very utilitarian, which I appreciated that it doesn't it doesn't feel elitist. 
Um, and one of the families that she does in episode three, this is a family that has downsized from a four bedroom house to a two, a four, sorry, a four story house to a two bedroom apartment in California because the mom is a hairdresser and the dad does music. So they had to move like from Michigan to LA, obviously, so that they both could do their work. And so they're like a super sweet family, but they obviously never downsized any of their stuff. And it's like really chaotic. But even then it's like, the family is so loving with each other. Like they just want to make it work. Their biggest problem is like the mother does too much and then feels bad that she isn't letting them, you know, learn to fend for themselves more. It's a really sweet show. Um, and it did make me want to organize the parts of my house that are not totally organized yet. I don't think we have a huge amount to downsize because we just, you know, moved from <laughs> several time zones away. Like we've downsized every one of our four moves of the last 10 years, but still there's, there's always room for improvement. And I like the, even though she got a lot of shit for the whole idea of like, pick up each thing and decide if it sparks joy. Like I can see how that would work like better than just looking at a shelf of stuff and sort of scanning it with your eye. Like if you're holding a thing, you have to really decide, do I actually want this shirt or not? And most of the time the answer is no. And I appreciate that. I think there's a lot of good tips for this and it it's not, at the same time, it's not overwhelming. But. I, I watched a couple episodes with you, and I think the mm -hmm. part that's endearing that you don't really realize until you see it in action is when a host can kind of communicate with other people but need a translator for the really heavy stuff. There's yeah. something There's something endearing about that, but it also speaks to how gingerly she kind of comes into your life, too. Like, there's something yeah. very open about it. Yeah, it's also interesting. Yeah, she speaks a little bit of English, but mostly Japanese, and she comes with an interpreter. It's also interesting to see how the, the show subjects um, interrelate with Marie and the interpreter. Like, there's a lot of times where you can see they're, they're, <laughs> they're trying to, like, consciously look at Marie, even as they're listening to the interpreter talk to them. Like, it's sort of like how people have a hard time dealing with deaf people, too, I would imagine. Like, that yeah. you, you're not sure you're, which person you're supposed to be looking at at which time, but yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a good show. It'll probably, even if you think you don't need to learn anything about organizing like me, you probably will. So, you know, I think it has something for everyone. And even if you don't want to organize your house at all, Marie is very, very pleasant and lovely to watch. So I recommend the show. And since I don't have anything to plug myself, I'm going to say, if you know how to fly to England, cough, um, the final season of Catastrophe just came back this week on Channel 4, so uh, it's a wonderful show. I can't wait to see how they wrap it up, so obviously I don't recommend that you go out of your way, but if you're flying to England anyway, hey, check it out. Okay, Kat. Uh, I recently watched Gary and His Demons. It is a Canadian animated series created by Mark Little and Mark Satterthwaite. Uh, so it's about a guy named Gary who is the chosen one to defeat demons, fight demons, all kinds of things. But he was selected as the chosen one when he was in his teens and he's now in his late fifties and is just pissed off that he still has to do it. Hates his job, hates everyone around him, but also has no idea what else he would do with his life. Um, it's, it's, he's, he's an asshole to everybody. It's, it's very funny, but also at times quite thoughtful and sweet and hopeful. And uh, right from the beginning of the show that sort of sets the tone for the whole thing. Oh, no, you don't, you shape-shifting piece of shit! Where the hell did... Oh, oh, don't hurt me! Uh, uh, okay. You're that demon that I was just chasing. No, I'm not. I'm a little boy. No, okay. Then what are you doing here in this alley? 
I'm homeless. Please help me, sir. <laughs> Why are you wearing such nice clothes? I stole them from another little boy. I have to steal for my clothes. Okay, listen. This is, unfortunately, more plausible than I'm comfortable with. But I am 99% sure you're that demon. You got a real demon vibe right now? I'm not a demon. I'm just poor. You're... My parents died. Okay. If you're... Help me. Take me to a shelter. I hunt demons for a living. I know a demon when I see one. You're doing a very good job. Kudos. But I got to cut you in half now because I, I, I know you're a demon. No, I'm a little boy. I'm homeless. I'm so hungry. Please. Please I need stop my medicine. talking. I'm going to cut you in half now, so just stop talking. It's my birthday. Ah! Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so does this have Rick and Morty tinges to it? Yes, a little bit, but just hold with me. There, if you like Rick and Morty, there's enough that you'll, you're probably going to like the show. But if you're not into Rick and Morty, this show has so much more going for it and creates its own voice and everything. And uh, Dan Harmon has nothing to do with Gary and his demons. <laughs> but, uh, a bunch of really talented and funny Canadians do have stuff to do with it. And full disclosure, I vaguely know some of the people who work on the show, but that's just because I'm Canadian and we do actually all know each other. Uh, so Gary and his demons, the first season is 16 episodes. Each one is 11 minutes each. Um, I think in the States it, it streams on Verve or VRV. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. And in Canada, the whole season is on cbc.ca. And I know what you're going to plug, but do it. Oh, and for my plug, well, one, I am a senior writer for BuzzFeed.com, but uh, also Jocelyn and I host a podcast called I Hate It But I Love It, where we talk about movies and TV shows that we love and hate simultaneously. Uh, the day that this episode comes out is uh, we are also releasing our 100th episode where we talk about Woo! 13 going on 30. Woo! Uh, <laughs> uh, past episodes, Tara has been on to talk about Bring It On, which was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, we've also talked about uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, Swordfish, um, uh, Bl uh, Black Mirror, all kinds of things. And uh, so, yeah, you can find I Hate It, But I Love It wherever you get your podcasts. We will link it in the show notes as well. Absolutely. Dirty Bunting. Project Runway All-Stars is back. I am uh, relieved that we are not covering it on the site this final season on Lifetime because I enjoy co-watching it with T-Bone. But there just isn't anything else to say about Alyssa Milano, my love, and whose hair looks great this year, but she's still not dressing for her perfectly cute figure. Uh, there also is not really anything else to say about Anya still not knowing how to fucking sew on Project Runway, <laughs> still not getting eliminated for it in the first episode, ugh. Uh, there is a lot to say, I think, about the beautiful Georgina Chapman just kind of gutting it out in her judge's chair. <laughs> I've actually always liked her judging, but there's something about the pretending that we're in a timeline where she wasn't married to that pile of chunks that is really <laughs> surreal and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. This pile but, of chunks is Harvey Weinstein, in case people were not aware. There are so many piles of chunks around lately. That's a great book title, too. This pile of chunks. <laughs> this pile of chunks. What am I going to do with all these piles of chunks? <laughs> There's got to be a better way. Let's ask Mercado. Everything else aside, uh, this last Lifetime season does have some old favorites who aren't so problematicness adjacent, like Seth Aaron, Anthony Ryan, um, your boyfriend and mine, Tara Dimitri, is back. And his new nose. He got a nose job. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the new nose, but it's I'll get it. It's bad. His old nose was good. I don't know yeah. why he did it. And, but he still has all his same bracelets and funny quotes, so I'm fine with it. 
And uh, this time they added a bunch of winners from the international versions of the show, which is a cool twist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I figured, all right, let's just watch this last one. Let's see the franchise into the sunset. Heidi and Tim quit and I am quitting also. But then I learned that the mentor in Bravo's Runway 2.0 is Christian Siriano, who I think is super smart and will be great at this. Yep. And I have to tell you, I'm here for early seasons, Tim Gunn, all day. But in recent seasons, he's gotten really kind of pinched and snotty. Yeah. I am kind of still pissed about the swap nil incident. So maybe it is time for a reset. I thought I could finally trim a hoary oldster off of my DVR, but it looks like I have to keep that one. I'm not sure when it's premiering, though. Um, so uh, hopefully people in the listening audience will also be giving it a try. And we can all uh, hold hands and experience it together. Uh, In the meantime, Project Runway All-Stars is back and you should check it out. It's good. Speaking of keepers, there is a Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs Blotter crossover event happening this week. Mark Blankenship has visited the Blotter Presents to discuss another lifetime joint surviving R. Kelly. And you should give it a listen. That is The Blotter Presents, wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. And this week on Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, we are ranking Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It gets kind of screamy. You should check that out also. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jocelyn, what do you got? Uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power by Noelle Stevenson, the Eisner Award-winning cartoonist behind the books Lumberjanes and Nimona. This is by far one of my favorite series of... Uh, last year um, and ongoing. In addition to podcasting, I I do a lot of writing for children. This is some of the best writing for for kids in TV that I've seen in quite a while. It's such a thoughtful, super funny reboot of the She-Ra concept that takes it out of the realm of just basically, I mean, I've watched the old show and it's just basically a girl in a kick-ass outfit. And then the She-Ra theme song played ad infinitum. This actually (laughs) has plots. Um, and fantastic characters, and the decision to center the entire conflict on the show uh, on the relationship between She-Ra and her best friend Katra is super smart and super fun. It's I just I couldn't recommend it more. Um, I downed the entire thing in a day. I think everyone will as well. Uh, in addition to plugging I Hi Bye Lie, where you can hear Kat's cogent thoughts and my very zany ones, um, <laughs> or often super embarrassing stories about my past, um, I would love to plug a show that I worked on called Mysticons. If you like Shira, maybe you would like the show that I worked on that's also about a group of ragtag, kick-ass female heroes fighting bad guys in a vaguely mystical setting. Uh, you can find it on Nickelodeon or Nicktoons. Um and if you like uh, that, then good for you. And thank you for watching. Spoilers the whole fun ahoy. Luther, we also, when we were uh, going across the pond through methods flying to England, we also ended up watching Luther season five, he yep. says. Not sure. Mm- very short season, only four episodes. And I have to say, you know, when it started for the first three episodes, you know, I'm into it. Like a Luther season is a Luther season. They have the formula down. Crazy serial killer on the loose plus B plot where Luther is just trying to skirt the system to get shit done um, in his own particular methodical and sort of semi-psychopathical way. And then stuff happens. 
this season, the craziness isn't really as crazy as it has been in the past. Yeah, I remind you of the Dungeons and Dragons season where people were <laughs> rolling dice to find out who they were going to kill. This season, I feel like even though it was a disturbing serial killer doing things, somehow seemed kind of tame compared to past Luther seasons. <laughs> it's the yeah. last episode where everything kind of goes down. And when it does go down, it really does go down. Keep in mind, I have played the spoiler thing. So if you're thinking, maybe I'll just chance it, go away. So in the last episode, we find Luther basically kind of on the lam from the law. Really hard to figure out how they're going to write themselves into it. He's finally arrested and Alice is killed and Benny is killed during this season. Like there's a lot of bloodshed going on, a lot of resetting of the cast. I think yeah. somebody got the memo. If you do a season six, we've got to, got to find some ways to cut back. Let's kill half the cast. Um, Tara, you watched it. Were you surprised by the bloodshed of the last episode? Um, no, not really. I, I feel like there are some actors who are getting to the point where like, you're not going to be able to get them back. Probably. Yeah. I did think the villain was good. He Enzo Salenti is uh, like a journeyman British. Hey, it's that guy. He was on Game of Thrones for a while. Um, he was really good and creepy and like, you know, darkly funny. And I thought very effective. Yeah, it was fine. I don't know. Luther's not really like one of my top tier cop shows. I'm, but, you know, it it's, takes so long between seasons that I'm always glad when I, I'm, I'm happy to watch it. And then it immediately falls out of my head. Right. Right. All right. And spoilers. Luther season five spoilers at an end. <laughs> terrible things happen, but you don't know what. <laughs> uh, I'm calling an audible here because I think if we don't talk about it, we'll be remiss. Uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch came out during our hiatus. Oh, yeah. um, I feel like it's moments already come and gone in the, <laughs> in the three weeks. We've in the been, culture. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I will say like it really for me felt like I had been transported back to my young days playing an adventure game on the like the Vic 20 or the Commodore 64 where you know you would type west to you know look at door oh no you're eaten by a guru like it it's interesting to see that very very basic formula attempted on on uh on TV and like at the base of it it has all the same problems as an adventure game did back then which is <laughs> it's really easy just to run into a very unsatisfying end uh, you know, another analogy, maybe if you're, uh, is like the two zero adventure books. Um, but even those had more splitting paths, you know, like, yeah, always, you always have the problem with these systems where in order to really do justice to it, you would have an exponentially increasing decision tree, but you can't actually make a product that way. So you end up sort of folding decisions on themselves and creating sort of sudden dead ends. And the first time we ran through Bandersnatch, like we kind of hit one of those dead ends pretty quickly. And it was yeah. just like, wait, is that the end? And then they do sort of a kind of a lazy reset with, you know, where you kind of go back. But that's just the nature of how these decision tree adventure games work. And technically, it was kind of neat to see how they did it. The part of the story that revolves around the meta Netflix commentary was really smart piece of writing and fun. But overall, I would have rather had a couple more episodes of Black Mirror than than this experiment for sure who else did anyone else watch it i watched it i think i went through every possible ever ending for it yeah and i the thing is like there are unsatisfying endings but even the so-called satisfying endings were just like oh okay i guess that's it right 
Like the story itself wasn't that compelling. It was just more like, ooh, what am I going to choose this time rather than where is the story actually going to go? Yeah, I had the same problem with it where it's like, you know, I found myself just making choices of like what I would do in that situation, which is like I, I'm my life isn't interesting enough to be a movie. So why am I doing it this way? But also like at the end of it, um, I, I thought of other products where it was like a similar sort of story where it reset and and made adjustments over time. And that is why on New Year's Eve. We ended up watching Edge of Tomorrow, which I would much recommend over Bandersnatch if you want to see a similar kind of thing. It's so good. Oh, good. Yeah. We were saying we were watching that, who we recast Tom Cruise with, you know, to make it even better. And uh, my choice was uh, Scoot McNary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of a a sleazy kind of, you know, operator. I think the kind of character he's going to play in the next season of Narcos is probably very much, you know, what I was picturing. For the Tom Cruise character, um, Tara, did you have a pick? Uh, yeah, I said Sam Rockwell, which yeah. who has the same uh, similar uh, kind of energy, yeah. where you you know you have to be charming but also weaselly. Tom Cruise is not convincing doing the weaselly stuff. Guy Fleekman. What was that? Guy Fleekman as Rock Ingersoll. We just watched uh, Galaxy Quest again. Ah, yes. Last night we considered watching Bandersnatch, and then it was like, oh, Galaxy Quest is on, and it's just mm-hmm. starting, and we watched the yeah. whole thing, and I stand by that decision. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. We have an extra credit topic from Lauren, who writes, I would like to know the panel's show star signs within the show universe of your choosing. She explains, for example, in the Bob's Burgers Cosmos, I am a Linda with a rising Tina. My BFF identifies in the 30 Rock Cosmos as a Jack with a rising Frank. These are excellent examples that completely, for me, crystallized what she was asking. Can I ask a question before we get into yes. it? Uh, mm-hmm. What does like rising and I assume there's like a descending or something like that? What does that signify? 
I'm turning this over to Sarah, who is our <laughs> our uh, resident Zodiac expert. Embarrassing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I can feel this question, I think. Um, your sort of main sign, which is based on your date of birth, is your sun sign. And then your rising sign is like, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but you have basically three signs. It's like your sun sign, your moon sign, and your rising sign. Um let me just terrify the people in the uh, listenership who actually know about shit like this. I'm an Aries double Scorpio. <laughs> Fear me. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard uh, panicked laughter. Hi. <laughs> but if you're if you're a rising whatever, does that have like like is that just your placement in the zodiac, or does it signify something like if you're a rising Taurus, then you have like certain personality traits or something? I, I mean. It, they all sort of work together in different combinations. I see. Okay. I feel like Lauren is just ask, is is using it in the sense of like, I'm an X with a Y tinge, you know. The only way to learn and grow is to ask questions, Tara. You're right. And there's one way to scientific discovery is increased knowledge of the Zodiac. Yeah, definitely <laughs> at me. <laughs> yeah. Lauren asks us each to say, what universe do you feel your soul belongs in and what would be your signs? I'll go first. Uh, I went to the Friends universe, uh, duh. Uh, speaking of, uh, duh, I am a Monica. Shocking what? no one. <laughs> I'm a competitive control freak who loves shit to be tidy, as we just heard with regard to Marie Kondo. But I was born under a Joey moon in the sense that I love TV. I'm great at sleeping. And Joey doesn't share food. Cat. <laughs> Uh, in the Brooklyn Nine Nine universe, I am an love. Amy Santiago <laughs> because I love the rules more than anything. They're there mm-hmm. for our protection. Uh, <laughs> but I have a rising Rosa Diaz because I hate when anyone's up and by business. One hundred percent. Perfect, Sarah. Um, when you open the newspaper, kids ask your parents to your Felicity scopes. <laughs> <laughs> I am a Megan. I'm uh, bitchy and I love vintage clothing. Uh, double Sean, because uh, he's sort of big and has a big apartment and likes to invent stuff that doesn't really work. <laughs> Jocelyn. Well, I know in my soul that I am a Muppet who is turned into a human by some sort of witch's spell at birth. <laughs> and therefore, in the Muppet Show universe, I am a gonzo son because I am a ridiculous alien who loves chickens and oh, loose pranks. Um, I am a Rizzo Moon because I am also sarcastic and often eating. And I am a beaker rising because uh. I'm frequently in science experiments and being chased by lions and tigers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not my my one I wrote down, but speaking of Muppets, I think it would be like a Sweetums with Sam the Eagle rising or something like that. <laughs> My God, I would be fully a Sam the Eagle. Uh-huh. Oh, I always forget on Sam the Eagle, but never sleep on Sam the Eagle. He's the best one of them by far. With Waldorf <laughs> and Statler as my other two. Uh, yeah. uh, my actual contribution is from the Freaks and Geeks Zodiac. Um, I am a Bill Haverchuk with Harold Weir rising. I'm a tech-focused nerd with a minor in pop culture, but I'm increasingly dealing with not being with it, but also not caring too much about not being with it. And also... Like the father in Freaks and Geeks, I lost my virginity to a prostitute while I was a soldier in Korea. <laughs> Extra credit. Dave is so not with it that I had to explain to him the other day what a thirst trap is, which was adorable. Oh, <laughs> Hooray. Hi, my name is Em, and I'd like to submit season four, episode 10 of Doctor Who. 
entitled Midnight into the canon. Before I break down why I think this should be submitted to the canon, I have to address the obvious detractors of submitting a Doctor Who episode. (laughs) First, we have to acknowledge that a great Doctor Who episode is very, very relative to who is creating the show. Doctor Who never had a Gene Roddenberry type dictating the rules of the universe. The only real role that the Doctor regenerates with a new face and personality when he dies allows each Doctor to be a blank slate. At one point or another, Doctor Who is a light timey-wimey adventure, an educational children's show, a serialized saga, a standalone sci-fi mystery, all because of the creative forces. So I think we should only compare this episode to episodes under Russell T. Davies' tenure as showrunner for the first four seasons of the recent reboot. Okay, the second detractor is that the Extra Hot Great panel is notoriously allergic to Doctor Who, (laughs) probably because the show is just not calibrated to your taste. But I'd like to make my case for this episode anyway, because I believe this episode represents the 10th Doctor, played by David Tennant, at its best. The 10th Doctor is known for his humanistic streak as a youthful, charming alien who can quickly unleash a righteous monologue at those who have committed moral offenses. He's clever, and his words matter. It's arguably his greatest superpower. Yet, this episode turns that on its head in a really interesting way. And though it's not a perfect episode, because one does not exist in the Doctor Who canon, it balances the best of the Doctor in this episode, making it a memorably great one. So let's begin. The Doctor and his companion Donna take a vacation for some R&R on the resort planet Midnight, whose views are literally lethal. The Doctor takes a space shuttle alone to see an exotic location nearby. He tampers with the shuttle's entertainment devices, forcing the shuttle's eclectic group of passengers to talk with one another, including a family with a teenage son, a professor and its research assistant, a recently single woman named Skye, and the shuttle's hostess, or flight attendant. The shuttle takes an alternative route to the waterfall and unexpectedly stops midway through their journey. The cockpit takes a peek at at an uncharted part of the planet where nothing can survive too long in its poisonous light, and spots an ominous shadow in the distance. Meanwhile, the passengers begin to grow panic and scared as a rhythmic knocking starts on the hull of the shuttle. Suddenly, the shuttle rocks and the lights turn off. The hostess opens the cockpit to discover the pilot and mechanic have been killed by prolonged exposure to the light. That's the least of their problems, though. The doctor checks on a passenger named Skye, who is now possessed by the shadow which lurked outside of the shuttle. And eerily, Sky begins to mimic everything the passengers are saying. Are you all right? Are you all right? Are you hurt? Are you hurt? You don't have to talk. You don't have to talk. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. My name's the Doctor. My name's the Doctor. Okay, can you stop? Okay, can you stop? I'd like you to stop. I'd like you to stop. Why is she doing that? Why is she doing that? She's gone mad. She's gone mad. Stop it. Stop it. I said stop I it. I said stop it. I don't think she can. I don't think she All can. All right, now stop it. This All isn't right, funny. All right, now stop it. This isn't funny. Shh, 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 shh. All of you. Tensions mount as the passengers become unnerved by this gimmick mimic. The direction, editing, and sound design hit the claustrophobic theme home. Same with the overwrought music cues. The passengers nearly calm themselves down, however, but it's short-lived as the passengers realize Sky is now repeating at exactly the same time. Now then, Sky, are you Sky? Is Sky still in there, Mrs. Silvestri? You know exactly what I'm going to say. How are you doing that? 
roast beef. Bananas. The Medusa Cascade. Bang! Rose Tyler, Martha Jones, Donna Noble, Tardis. Shamble, bobble, dibble, dooble. Oh, Doctor, you're so handsome. Yes, I am. Thank you. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O. Then she catches up. What's the next stage? The doctor moves the passengers to the back of the vessel, and he worries that the next stage of the shadow to become could be to become one of the passengers. But of course, mass hysteria engenders the passengers' worst impulses. The idea of killing the possessed thing seems to stick, despite the doctor's vehement objections. Now, in most Doctor Who episodes, the tenth doctor's tirades would shame pretty much any alien race to do the right thing, even at their own peril. He uses reason and emotion to connect with beings, and he's unfailingly correct throughout almost his entire run. But this is where the episode flips that on its head. His plea isn't helping, it's making things worse. And moreover, the doctor is wrong for once. Some things can't be reasoned with, especially not this thing. In fact, all the doctor's quirks are spreading suspicion onto himself. If you try to throw her out that door, you'll have to get past me first. Okay. Fine by me. Oh, now you're being stupid. Just think about it. Could you actually take hold of someone and throw them out of that door? Calling me a coward. Who put you in charge anyway? I'm sorry, but you're a doctor of what exactly? He wasn't even booked in. The rest of you, tickets in advance. He just turned up out of the blue. Where from? I'm just traveling. I'm a traveler, that's all. Like an immigrant. Who were you talking to? Before you got on board, you were talking to someone. Who was that? Just Donna, just my friend. And what were you saying to her? He hasn't even told us his name. He is, though. Doctor, you've been loving this. Oh, Jethro, not you. No, but ever since all the troubles started... You've been loving it. It has to be said, you do seem to have a certain... glee. All right, I'm interested. Yes, I can't help it, because whatever's inside her is brand new, and that's fascinating. What, you wanted this to happen? No. And you were talking to her. All on your own, before all the trouble, right at the front, you were talking to that Sky Woman, the two of you, together, I saw you. Yeah, well, we all did. And you went into the cabin. What were you saying to her? I was just talking. Saying what? You called us humans like you're not one of us. Did that? That's what he said. And the wiring. He went into that panel and opened up the wiring. That was after. But how did you know what to do? Because I'm clever. I see. Well, that makes things clear. And what are we then? Idiots! Above all else, the Doctor is clever, but clever can't fight a mob out for blood, and it can't fight the shadow thing, which is now only repeating the Doctor's words. The passengers take this as confirmation that the shadow and the Doctor are in cahoots. And soon enough, Skye begins to speak the Doctor's words before the Doctor can say them. And she convinces the passengers that she is back to normal, and the shadow is now inside the Doctor. So Sky rallies up the passengers to kill the doctor, now catatonic and helpless. And most importantly, there's no TARDIS, no sonic screwdriver, no rallying speech, or no companion to save him. He just needs one of these strangers he's met to get through to him. So the stewardess, the one who he overlooked, realizes the doctor is the real victim of the shadow. As the passenger is ready to kill the doctor, the hostess plunges herself and Sky into space, sacrificing herself to save the doctor. He can now speak. After a few passengers swear they knew it was Sky all along, the doctor returns to his companion Donna, shaken from his travels. Another anomaly. 
So this episode works on a lot of levels for me. It starts off as a light and Whovian with an eager doctor ready to embark on an adventure. But surely it progresses into something far more sinister. You know, there is nothing really scarier than scared people is one of the doctor's best themes. And this is the best example of it. And best of all, there are no cheap-looking aliens or weird technology to learn or weird terminology to understand. It's a fairly simple premise that is unnerving. I could do without all the musical cues, and I do think the savior reveal is a bit of left field, but it works. It's not a perfect episode of Doctor Who. One does not exist, but it remains a great one. And I hope you please consider this for the canon, and thank you for your time. Thank you, M. Uh, so let's let one of our guests go first. Who actually chose this? Cat. Cat. I'm Kat. the one who chose it. Yeah. Then you must go first. <laughs> well, I used to be love Doctor Who so much. I would watch every episode, and I've just fallen off of it in the last few years. But even when I was a really big fan of it, I was very aware that if I wanted to get somebody else into it, I couldn't tell them to start from the beginning because, or even from when it rebooted, because. That starts with a bunch of mannequins coming alive and killing everybody, and it's absolutely <laughs> terrible. So I had like a, a curated list of episodes to show people to try to show them like, look, this is how good it can be. And Midnight was definitely one of them, but I hadn't watched the show in about 10 years, so it was really interesting uh, or interesting to watch at this time. I think the first half before any of the creepy stuff starts happening, it's the, the sensibility of Russell T. Davies. I'm just not used to it anymore. And it's just a little too earnest and a little too like, look how look how clever I am. He's, he's It's like he thinks he's the doctor in writing the show. <laughs> but then yeah. once it gets to this creepy repeating alien, that's when it really kicks in for me. And I love I think I love the second half of this episode more than the first. Jocelyn? Well, this is an interesting situation for me because this is literally the first episode of Doctor Who I've ever seen. <laughs> but I have third, two third for me. Proceed. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I have two purposes in life. One is to have opinions, whether or not I deserve to, and the other is to back up my girl cat. So here we go. Um, as someone who works in TV, I think uh, anytime you're trying to break a bottle episode, they look so easy, but they're so hard to do because you're trying to find a way to make whatever cost-saving mechanism you're putting in place feel organic and not like a cheat to the audience. So not having any familiarity with the, uh, the universe of Doctor Who, um, I thought this was incredibly effective. Also, as someone who has done a lot of onstage performing, the whole talking at the same time as somebody else gimmick is something that everyone thinks is going to be a lot easier than it actually is. <laughs> yeah. You write it into something, you're like, this is cool. I can do this, no problem. And then five hours of sweat-inducing rehearsal later, you're like, I'm going to die today. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so as a, a performance platform, I thought it was excellent. Um, as an interesting storytelling device, I thought it worked really well. Does it serve as a good example of, of the Doctor Who show? I cannot tell you, but if Kat says so, then I agree with her. <laughs> Let's throw it to Sarah, who has a, a tragic note to, uh, to pre begin her comments on. Before, before uh, Sarah starts, we also just discovered if Kat, if you want to murder somebody, you've got a built-in alibi. <laughs> oh, I've, I've known this for quite a while. Don't you worry. <laughs> Okay, so um, in the rundown doc that we all consult as we are preparing for these episodes, this was uh, initially labeled Season 4, Episode 10, 
midnight, but Amazon Prime said it was uh, or has it as episode 11, um, which this note appeared in the doc after I had already watched <laughs> season four, episode 10. Oh, no. Uh Oh, which I thought was better than this one. So that's <laughs> oh, no. fortunate. And then I had to watch two Doctor Who episodes, which is about five more than I can tolerate. You have no concept of the depth of my ire. <laughs> oh, I do. I was the one to whom all those candies were addressed back in the day. Okay. Um, I Maybe I should abstain from voting on this, but this is just aggressively not for me. Uh, David Tennant is generally very charming and actually is like really cute mm-hmm. in this role. Like I'm enjoying the styling, like that, like aughts floof of hair that he's got going. But I, this is just like, it's so big and loud and fond of its own cute locutions. And this particular episode to me felt like about eight or nine minutes of plot in a 45 minute bag. I, I have voted for a doctor who episode for the canon before. Uh, I don't think it's impossible, but while I do believe that this is a very typical episode for me, that means that it's typical in all of the like shouty Royal blue uncle Nutsy's clubhouse ways that mean I don't like the show. I also said I would continue watching Lindsay Lohan's Peach Club, so I am better than exactly no one, but this is a capital nope. Can I'm sorry, can we get that me. again? Royal Blue, Uncle Nutsy's Club Clubhouse. Okay, that was a UHF reference. No, We're gone. changing the name of the podcast, by the way, just so you know. You'll, you'll have to get that copyright off of Weird Al, I'm afraid, but oh. good luck to you. He might, he might do it. Weird Al, who I met at Soup Plantation once. Sure, we're good friends. <laughs> I met him once, too. All right. Um, yeah, just for the record, it, it wasn't on the canon um, page. It was in some oversight. We we did previously talk about Blink, which was also from the Russell T. Davies, David Tennant era. And we did vote it in, but it was like in episode 33. So <laughs> if no one remembers 200 episodes ago, then you might not know that. So we're not like... 100% anti Doctor Who across the board. But yeah, this was this was tough for me too. It just felt like a twilight zone. In fact, it's very monsters are due on Maple Street. I was thinking there's a gremlin on the wing. I thought that's where it was going at first, but same same kind of thing and I wish. And I agree with Sarah that if it, it felt like a tiny amount of plot stretched out for way too long and like I mean, even shorter than a Twilight Zone is the scary door on Futurama where you have the guy come out and say, turns out it was man. That was this episode. Like, I mean, I'm glad that Dave clipped the the bit of the episode where the, the woman was like, I'm a traveler. What, like an immigrant? Like, we get it. It's like people are paranoid and close minded. Copy that. Um so I just felt like, you know, it was it was trying too hard for uh, to make a, you know, a very obvious point. And I, I get that this is a show for children, question mark. Is it still? I don't even know. I know originally it was. Yeah, that was in my notes, too, that it's like maybe I'm not being fair, but wow, I don't exhausting. think it is anymore. It is at 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 the least a young adult with adult rising. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fair enough. I, I also I did appreciate as as M said there is there is minimal sci fi baloney, um, but in terms of uh, you know. A, a, with all due respect to Jocelyn, I'm sure it's true that, you know, having having to say lines in unison is really hard. Um, this this it, 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 went it went on for, for so, so, so long, so long, so much of it. And the, and and if you want to see the same kind of thing done in a more interesting way toward the end of Patriot season one, um, there's a, a long sequence with two characters who are throwing rock, paper, scissors at each other and, and matching each other. Like that's such a good scene. Over and over and over, like for so much longer than you can possibly imagine to the point where I was like, how do you think they did this? Like they couldn't possibly memorize the sequence. They had to have people behind them throwing up, you know, cue cards or whatever. Anyway, that was much more interesting from a technical standpoint um, than than this. So and I appreciate the the big swing, but mm, no, Dave, <laughs> uh, to me, this episode seemed like um, a political Facebook uh, discussion as science fiction. <laughs> it was just like a bunch of angry people talking over each other to no effect until somebody just burns the place down at the end. That's a good thing, right? This this is the Doctor Who that I was very delighted not to see when we did Blink. Now, I'm not a Doctor Who person. Um, you were mentioning the very first episode with the mannequins. That was like... Mm. I. When it came back, I'm like, I'm going to give Doctor Who another shot. I sure do love that theme song. Uh, so let's try it again. And then there was like garbage bins turning into people and stuff like that or eating people. I'm like, mm, you know what? I can't do it. The show is th <laughs> this episode is somehow full of 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 whimsy, but absolutely dire. So you were I, right the first time me. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really follow up with any Doctor Who stuff. Um, I didn't really pick it up with any of the new doctors with David Tennant or Matt Smith or uh, Peter Capaldi. I just like every time I'm like, should I go back to it? And then I'm just sort of like, for me, the the tone of Doctor Who just doesn't agree with me. The typical tone. And I think this episode kind of is in that uh, ballpark. And I will say that of all the doctors in the modern era, David Tennant is definitely my favorite. I think he uh, is the most approachable. Um, you know, because of his sort of pleasing manic energy, I feel like he's head and shoulders above the first guy whose name, the actor I forget, who's a real drip. Christopher Eccleston. Thank Eccleston. You. Yeah, he's, he just seems like he's like the poster child for everything sour, like Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> and this is a picture of him with his arms crossed looking at you, <laughs> daring you to eat it. The things I liked about this episode, like I feel like when they wanted to get frantic and manic, they did so very effectively. You know, with the over-talking, with the really over-the-top, but somehow still effective musical cues, like, it really did seem like uh, they just let a few monkeys loose in, a, you know, an empty orchestra and had them bang things together for a while. Like, it was <laughs> just crazy, but it worked. But I think at the end of the day, for me, M says you can't compare this to episodes outside of the Davies era, and I say poppycock to that. I will compare this to what I think is so oh far my. the best episode, uh, which is Blink. I still haven't found a better episode than Blink. Now, I think, as I said, when we did the Blink canon. I think that's still in the Russell T. Davies right. time. But it, it, it's cinematic, you know, where this one isn't. There's a lot of differences mm. in presentation. It feels much more like a Sherlock kind of production value, you know, with Moffat than it does to me like this. So the problem with having such a stellar episode like Blink is that there is a big gulf between Blink and other things that are presented as 
premium Doctor Who. Like this might be a well-regarded Doctor Who, but for my money, not being a Doctor Who fan, like Blink is A plus, this is like B minus. And I don't want to put a B minus episode in the canon. And I think that's like <laughs> both speaks volumes about how good I thought Blink was, but also is kind of unfair to the, you know, that you have such a gap in between things. But hey, that's life. Um, I think if you had people that were more immersed in Doctor Who, like Cat and Jocelyn, who, well, not Jocelyn, but Cat and <laughs> Jocelyn via, via Cat. And Jocelyn's spirit. Through the transitive properties of Cat. Um, I'll do it for you. <laughs> that you may feel different about it. That, you know, you can say that, you know, Blink is tier one Doctor Who, and this is a very special entity, but let's talk about your more typical Doctor Who episodes and of those that maybe um, Midnight is an interesting episode. I get that. I just don't subscribe to that because I'm not that kind of viewer for Doctor Who. So oh, um, with that, I'm going to say no, but let's make it official. We'll start with Kat. Uh, well, M, I was going to vote for you, but then Dave convinced me because he's right. This is yeah. so far good. This is the 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 chasm between this and Blink is so big. I don't think I can vote for this one. Midnight might be the best of the season that season, but it's it's not. I have to say no now, and I'm very sorry, but I really liked your presentation. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's see if uh, Jocelyn Twist. falls cat into the abyss. <laughs> well, I feel like I've set a precedent now. <laughs> Um, I, I agree. An excellent presentation, an excellent argument. However, yeah, I guess if you're stacking it up next to a more legendary episode of the series, like Blink, which even um, a, a Doctor Who Luddite, I suppose, like me, knows knows all about, uh, then yes, I don't necessarily think this one would would earn a place alongside that one. However, I'll leave you with this piece of information. My grandfather used to be the mayor of a small English town, and when they did a major town event, they would send out one of the original Doctor Who Daleks. So if you ever find yourself <laughs> in the archives of Harpenden, look up my grandfather, who absolutely <laughs> looks like a live-action Wallace from Wallace and Gromit, and awesome. treat yourself to that cool piece of trivia from A Stranger's <laughs> oh Life. Oh, my God. That is amazing. This is the Dalek come out to the podium and, like, introduce, like, the event or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, literally. It was like it was like they're a, 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 a ribbon cutting ceremony, and they're like, wow. and now a dollar. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be glib, but I would kind of like maybe put that in the canon. That sounds amazing. Because <laughs> now I'm picturing it with like a mayoral sash yeah. on and everything. It sounds very official. Best evil, yeah, best genocidal robot. Uh, okay, so Sarah, how how say you? Um, my grandfather is Christopher Eccleston. Just kidding. He is not. <laughs> That is not true. Uh, yes, good presentation, and I appreciate its courage. Um, and you might actually consider submitting the episode before this, which I might have voted for. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the meter had well run out by the time we got to midnight, and it is a no for me. I am sorry, sorry. Um, I, I meant to say, I said mayoral sash. Of course, we all know mayors wear chains. I'm just saying this to put off my no vote. Thank you, M, for submitting it. <laughs> and uh, I'm also uh, going to say nay on this one. But thank you very much for this submission, M. But with that, I'm afraid. No. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. Okay, everybody, it is time for winner and loser of the week. Tara, who is our winner? 
Oh, the very vocal and large Royal Pains fan community. Just kidding. Only me. Um, <laughs> of all of the shows that I've loved and lost, uh, <laughs> Royal Pains is the one that I might put ahead of so many other better shows if I could ask for one more season of anything, which, you know, speaking of character, does not speak well of me. I loved Royal Pains so much. It was so dumb. However, since we can't get it back... um, and since it's not summer, there are only two of its former cast members that will be on Law & Order SVU this week. Mark Feuerstein, Sarah's former Princeton colleague, um, will be starring as a famous plastic surgeon, uh, Alyssa Sutherland from Vikings and from the Sutherland family of actors, plays his girlfriend, and Willa Fitzgerald, who played Mark Feuerstein's character's um half sister on royal pains in a very ill-advised storyline will be playing a uh, patient of his who accuses him of rape so um not very uplifting really not royal painsy will i return to svu to see this i might sarah uh our loser this week is um well ellen degeneres but sort of the kevin hart storyline generally mm -hmm. because it's still happening First of all, Ellen DeGeneres, like, called the Academy to go to bat for Kevin Hart hosting, which is like, how does that work? Is it like the White House just has, like, the number that ends in 4,000 and you just call the switchboard and you're like, I'd like to complain about the mail? Like, I mean, not right now because no one's getting paid to answer the phone up in that bitch. But anyway. Like, do you just call? You're like, I'd like to speak to operator. Get me the Academy. <laughs> um, and then she did, like didn't reveal who she talked to, and I would love it if they connected her with like I don't even know, just like Michael Douglas. <laughs> like, who is it? Who's on this week? Pink, or it's like Gabrielle Carteris picks up and is like, "Fuck's sake, are we still talking about this?" Anyway, I would like to know how that worked, but um, it didn't work because the Academy's still like, nah. And then Kevin Hart apologized again, I guess yesterday like well guys. he actually said the words i'm and sorry and gay so yes you know he did that's a, that's a leap forward but this is all so gross i also enjoyed that glad was like still not buying it next question <laughs> like, and is kevin hart exactly. like that necessary for the oscars is no! anybody like oh no the oscars won't have kevin hart hosting yeah oh Why no the Oscars are like the new war games. Like the only way to win is not to play. <laughs> just, like, forget it. just don't touch Pretty it. Much, which Chris Rock basically said today that he's like, no, I'm not doing it. No, that's not like a please ask me enough times and I'll do it. I'm not doing it. And then he turned to Steve Martin and was like, you do it. And Steve Martin's like, no, you do it. Yeah. So I guess I'm doing it. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Why do they need a host? Who cares? It's 16 hours long anyway. Well, speaking about possible hosts that start in the jerk, do you know what time it is? <laughs> it's game time. Hey! Okay, this is the sixth game time of the season. To remind you, our scores are currently value guests with four points. A win today would clinch them their second season victory ever. Sarah oh. is in second place with one point, and Tara is in the basement with nothing. Nothing! See upside down. Today we are playing special guest stars from Dan Casino. Oh. Oh. Who uh, earns himself an extra credit, redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of his very choosing. 
Today's game will challenge your knowledge of the time-honored tradition of TV's special guest star. Here's how it works. I will read you a description of an episode with a special guest star, including network and year of appearance. You name the show for one point. Additionally, name the celebrity from three possible options for an additional point. So I'm going to give you a synopsis of the episode. You're going to tell me what show it was, and then you're going to guess who the special guest star was. Okay. Got it. There are 40 questions over five rounds. But first, let's find out about the steel meal situation, Tara Arian. Uh, the steel meal situation is as follows. Sarah DeBunting has five steel meals. I have one steel meals. The valued guests have used all of their steel meals. So okay. I don't need to explain to you how they work. All right. <laughs> it's, up to, oh. it's up to us. Very good. All right. Let's throw it to Picky to see who's going first. We will start with Sarah. All right. Our order is, and we have a lot of people playing today, so pay attention. Sarah. Cat, Tara, Jocelyn. Are we ready to play special guest stars? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Sarah D. Bunting, we're starting with you. Hey, and round one, musicians. So your celebrities are musicians that appear on the TV show. Okay. A pop music duo on their honeymoon runs into the show's cast when they check into a hotel that seems to be haunted by a giant monster shark. This episode was CBS 1972. Any guess what that show is? It's a duo. I hope it's not the Carpenters. <laughs> <laughs> by a monster shark? Yeah, the hotel monster. was haunted by a giant monster shark. Giant monster shark? Correction. Gosh. A hotel that seems to be haunted by a giant monster shark. Okay, important distinction. Um, I'm going to guess the Brady Bunch, even though that doesn't sound familiar to me. And I saw the episode. That was Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Oh. Okay, but you still got a chance for a point. I'm going to give you three options. You tell me which one is the correct guest star. Okay. Captain Antoniel, R.I.P. Oh. Peaches and Herb, or Herb. I don't even know who that is. Sunny and Cher. I think it's Sunny and Cher. You are correct. Hey! One point. That worked Okay, Kat. All right. A boy band star with the 90s cool guy tips encounters part of the pious main cast as a guy volunteering at Habitat for Humanity. He becomes part of a double date with the cast and is surprised when Lucy wants to make out. This show uh, was on the WB and this appearance was from the year 2000. This is Seventh Heaven. This is Seventh yeah, Heaven. It is. Yeah, it is. Was oh. that Joey Fatone? Justin oh. Timberlake or Lance Bass? Oh shit! Oh, that's tough. Um, what year is this again? Two thousand. Oh, I'm gonna say Justin Timberlake. Mm. Oh, Lance yes. it was Lance. <laughs> Sarah knew. <laughs> I watched it. Tara. Yes. A guy liner loving rock frontman comes down to North Carolina for a three episode arc in which he starts dating Peyton. And makes pancakes. One Tree Hill. You are correct. Was Ooh. that person Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day? <laughs> Pete Wenz of Fallout Boy. Oh boy. Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. <laughs> 2005. I'm going to say Pete Wenz. Pete Wenz from Fallout Boy is correct. Two hey. points. Nice. All right, Jocelyn, your first question. Okay. 
A famous teen idol plays a killer who booby traps corpses in order to kill Nevada cops. CBS, 2011. Oh my God. I should say that in like a weird panic response to this entire game, the only name I have running through my head is Lou Ferrigno. That's not my guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2005, did you say? No, 2011. Okay. Famous teen idol plays a killer who booby traps corpses in order to kill Nevada cops, CBS 2011. And at this stage, you're guessing the show. Yep. I'm going to say Criminal Minds. Mm. Damn it. The show's CSI, Original Race. Oh. So... Was this teen idol Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake? Ed Sheeran. Mm. Oh, Famously, this is the episode where Justin Bieber gets shot up at the end, like in slow motion. Yep. 10,000 bullets go into him, and uh, it was memed up the wazoo at the time. I, I do remember <laughs> that. Okay, everybody's had their first question. Let's continue. Sarah D. Bunting, a super problematic musician, has a multiple episode arc as little sister Caitlin's musical geek love interest. Fox 2007. Super problematic musician has a multiple Super episode problematic. My God, I mean, that could be anyone, but I'm pretty sure this show is the OC. Correct. Ah. Here are your options. Was that Chris Brown, R. Kelly, or Usher? No. <laughs> oh, gross. <sighs> ah. I, oh, Chris Brown. Nice. Correct for two points. All right, Kat. A pop singer has a reoccurring role as a receptionist who inexplicably has a crush on the architect slash wet blanket that leads this sitcom. CBS 2008. How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Was that Britney Spears, (laughs) Christina Aguilera, or Pink? It was Britney Spears. Two points. Well done. Authoritative. Terrible (laughs) performance. Tara. It was terrible, but I watched it. Me too. (laughs) The widow of a music legend invites the documentary director half of the lead couple to a party, but he's suffering from bad luck after his wife fails to return an accidentally stolen blouse. NBC, 1995. Architect half. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know. I got nothing. That show is mad about you. Mad about you. Ah! All right. All right. That widow of a music legend, Courtney Love, Priscilla Presley, Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono. Yoko it was an architect. That was the previous clue. <laughs> it was documentary filmmaker. Dang. Okay. To Jocelyn. Realizing that after the wedding, she won't have a job anymore, even though she's basically doing the same things without pay. The titular character, he he, tries to help a gift rapper become a musical rapper. It's ironic since the rapping rapper is played by a hip hop legend. CBS, 1998. Boy. Um... Titular character tries to help a gift rapper become a musical rapper. Rapper, this rapping rapper is played by a hip hop legend. Uh oh, I'm gonna make an embarrassing guess. Dharma <laughs> and Greg? That's not too far off. This is the nanny. The nanny. Oh! Okay. This rapping rapper is Coolio, Ice Cube, Rev Run. Oh, Coolio. Yes! <laughs> 
Sarah D. Bunting. A super yeah. hip new wave band is hired to play at Muffy Tepperman's Bat Mitzvah. And of course, wacky hijinks ensue. CBS 1983. Hijinks ensue. Muffy Temperman's Bat Mitzvah. Oh. 19. I'm sorry. What was 83. the year? 83. CBS 83. Oh. That does not help me. So I'll just say Benson. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't get off Muffy Tepperman, you weren't going to get no. it. Yeah, that is a show called Square Pegs. Yeah. Oh, right. So, new wave band was Depeche Mode, Devo, Talking Heads. Ah, <sighs> Devo? Jeez. Correct. Seems like the kind of thing they do. Yep. Sure. <laughs> All right, Kat. An evil old guy hires a foundational punk band to sing at his birthday party in a Citizen Kane-inspired episode. <laughs> Box 93. Oh. That is a fantastic 93. description. It is. <laughs> yeah. Can you just say the, the description one more time? Yeah. An evil old guy hires a found, foundational punk band to sing at his birthday party in a Citizen Kane-inspired episode on Fox uh, from 93. This is The Simpsons. Yeah! <laughs> All right. Was that Blondie, The Clash, or The Ramones? This is The Ramones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. All right. Tara. <laughs> yes. The first episode of Andy's sitcom comes out, and it's terrible. Still, he uses the recognition to get into a trendy celebrity bar where a glam rock legend makes up a song on the spot about how awful he is. Extras. Was that? Do you know? You know. That it's was David Bowie. David Bowie. It was not Freddie Mercury. <clears throat> uh, totally impossible. Yeah, that'd be an or trick. <laughs> Rod Stewart. Uh, that's HBO 2006. Okay, to Jocelyn. The female lead is invited to a party at a famous singer's palatial estate. Well, the boys try to gate crash so one can declare his love for her. It all ends fine, though, when the singer gives her some romantic advice. Fox 2014. I'm going to say new girl. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that uh, famous singers who has this palatial estate. We're talking about James Brown, Ozzy Osbourne or Prince. Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, Prince. Oh, Prince. Oh. And he was like really good in that episode too. Yeah, he, he was. It was really oh, funny. Oh. Yeah, that was the post Super Bowl episode that year. Everybody's oh. last question on round one coming up. This is the biggest round, by the way. A legendary okay. entertainer leaves his suitcase in the lead character's cab, leading to him coming by the house and eventually a shocking kiss. CBS 1972. I, uh, taxi? Mm. Wow, that's what I thought too. <laughs> yeah. That show, All in the Family. Oh. Was that Dean Martin, Joey Bishop, Sammy Davis Jr.? I think that was Sammy Davis Jr. You Man. think correctly. All right, Kat, your last question of round one. A Vegas based musician plays a musician who's being blackmailed into a life of crime by his twin brother. He intends to break into a stately manner, but gets foiled by the series leads. ABC, 1966. Oh, jeez. Um, I Spy? Oh, that's a mm. decent Good guess. Good guess. Batman. Batman. Uh, okay. Uh. That Vegas-based musician, Engelbert Humperdinck, 
Liberace, Tom Jones. Liberace? Liberace, of course. Nice. Tara. Yes. Angela, the specialist in forensic facial reconstruction, has been hiding her father from the rest of the cast. Turns out he's super overprotective, but also a famous rock guitarist. Fox 2005. I think this is Bo... Wait. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Bones. Okay. Famous rock guitarist. That was Johnny Winter, Ted Nugent, ZZ Top guitarist Billy Gibbons. Oh my god. Billy Gibb. Billy G. The last guy. The ZZ Top guy. ZZ Top guy. Correct. Nice. Last question around one for Jocelyn. Okay, so there's something about a concert at an oil rig and a record contract, but what matters is the unlikely teen-up between a mercenary crew and a gender-fluid British singer, NBC 86. Oh, dear. Um, Team-up between a mercenary crew and a gender-fluid British singer. NBC 1986. Oh, oh, this is absolutely going to be a, a stab in the dark. Um, uh, uh, mercenary crew. Uh, mer- oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, oh, the eighteen, the eighteen. Yes. Nice. <laughs> All right. That musician, Boy George, David Bowie, Mick Jagger. Mm, Mick Jagger. No! <laughs> was Boy George on the A team, the eighties. Wow! What a I remember that what episode. A time. All right, good. that's end of round one. Let's get the scores, please, Tara. Very close game. Um, I have seven points. Cat has six points. Sarah has five points. Jocelyn has three points. All right, we're just going to get through it. Round two. <laughs> I mean, it's fun, but we're not going to do the equalizer challenge. Now. Round two, starting with question 17. It's pretty good. Pretty good. We're talking film stars. Everybody's got one question. Here we go. Okay. Or Sarah. Maya publishes a fictional story about having dinner with a famous director and is thrilled when the director calls her up to compliment her for it. She's less flattered when the creepy guy pretending to be the director shows up and seems to be stalking her. NBC 1997. What was the character's name? Maya? Maya. Uh... Peacock Network. Way back in 97. Way back in 97. Uh, that show. Yeah, I don't know. It was mm. Friends. It was Just Shoot Me. Just Shoot Me. Oh. Okay, so that director was Roman Polanski. Oh. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, Tim Burton, Woody Allen. Tim Burton? Mm. Woody Allen. Oh. Guest start on Just Shoot Me? Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, Kat. Two of the female leads on the sitcom fight over who gets to date an action film star, but sad trombone, he wants a threesome, and he can crack a walnut with his butt. Don't know why that would be useful, but he mentions it. <laughs> NBC 96. This is Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Was that Dolph Lundgren, Jean-Claude Van Damme, or Steven Seagal? Van Damme. Oh, imagine how gross that would be if that was Steven Seagal in that scene. <laughs> oh. That was also a post-Super Bowl episode. All right, guys, this is... For Tara. Yes. When the Star Wars superfan series lead hangs out with James Earl Jones, they ring a co-star's doorbell, then dash. 
with a co-star grabs a baseball bat and threatens to beat them. CBS, 2014. Big Bang Theory? Yes. All right, that Star Wars co-lead, or, uh, yep, co-star. Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Mm. Carrie Fisher. <gasps> really? Yeah. Channeling your Blues Brother uh, character, maybe. Uh, yeah. All right, here's our last question of round two for Jocelyn. Okay. The second banana, the second banana from a classic action movie is brought in as part of a birthday present for the main character who's obsessed with the film. Fox, 2018. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. All right. <laughs> was that Danny Glover, Jonathan Kikwan, otherwise known as Short Round from uh, Temple of Doom, or Reginald Vell Johnson? Reginald Vell Johnson. Of course it was. <laughs> and that brings us Nine-Nine. Quickly, the scores. All right, still very close. Kat and I are now tied with eight points each, and Sarah and Jocelyn are tied with five points each. Uh, All right, still lots of games, guys. I mean, lots of games. There's only one game, but still (laughs) lots of it. Round three, guest stars are all politicians. They all have two questions each. Sarah Bunting. Yeah. Working for the school paper, Arnold finds out that drugs are being sold on campus, attracting the (laughs) attention of a major player in national politics, who probably should have had better things to do. NBC 1983. Different Strokes. Yeah! <laughs> that show name again, please? Different Strokes. Thank you. <laughs> yep. All right. I'm sure you know who it was, but let's go through the motions. George H.W. Bush, Nancy Reagan, <laughs> Rosalind Carter. Nancy Reagan. Of course it was. Cat. Uh, picky. Mm-hmm. At first, the cast thinks he's another potential secretary, but he's just dropping off a present, a framed cover issue of George. CBS, 1988. Murphy Brown? Was that George Michael, John Kennedy Jr., Richard Gere? John Kennedy Jr. Sure. I don't think that year is right. 1988? Yeah, I don't think George existed then, but it doesn't matter. She got it. Okay. Okay. A hip-hop yep. and stoner icon is apparently just hanging out at a car dealership near L.A., and he helps cast member Dixon with his insufferable rhymes. CW, 2011. Okay. Um, Supernatural? That is the reboot 90210. Oh. I actually knew that. <laughs> okay. Right. Wait, why is this in Politicians? Okay, we're just going to go with it. <laughs> okay. I don't know why this is here. Uh, che- Cheech Martin. Um, Secretary of Defense, Cheech Martin. Marin, probably. Uh, yeah. Um, and we have uh, the senator from Idaho, Coolio. Mm-hmm. And we have um, Vice President Snoop Dogg. Uh, Snoop Dogg. Correct. Apologies. I don't know how that got into the t- t- section. Uh, This is definitely a politician for Jocelyn. The spouse of a major political figure shows up to tell the girls of the main cast that her daughters are huge fans of the online broadcast the cast members make. This aired on the Disney Channel in 2012. Hannah Montana? Mm. That's iCarly. Oh. We talking about Hillary Clinton, Laura Bush, or Michelle Obama? Laura Bush. Michelle Obama, 2012. 2012. Oh, Michelle, really? Michelle. <laughs> no, Michelle. <laughs> no All right, Sarah D. Bunting. The BBC was criticized for introducing political bias when they allowed a then-popular British elected official 
to show up and chat with shopkeepers on this long-running London set soap. BBC 2009. <sighs> London set soap. Fucking no. EastEnders. Hey! We talking <laughs> Boris Johnson, David Cameron, or Sadiq Khan? Uh, Khan. That's Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. Uh, <laughs> Boris. All right, Kat. Two of the regulars on this show run into someone they recognize from TV outside the bar and try to figure out what channel he's on. When he reveals he's actually their senator, they lose all interest. NBC, 1992. Oh. I have no idea. I don't know. Mm. That show is Cheers. Oh. All right. Who's the senator? Gary Hart, John Glenn, John Kerry. John Kerry? Correct. Yep. People have been losing interest ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Harsh political commentary by David T. Cole. (laughs) The beloved sitcom and film actor who leads this short-lived show interviews a then-popular governor who promises a special announcement but falls asleep before the politician reveals the news. NBC, 2013. Parks and Recreation? Mm. That's the Michael J. Fox show. Uh, we talking oops. Chris Christie, Elliot Spitzer, Mike Huckabee. Then mm. popular governor. Chris Christie. Good for a point. All right, our last question of round three. For something. Or Jocelyn. <laughs> After spending four years in jail over his involvement with Watergate, he showed up here as a drug smuggler bringing in tainted heroin into the U.S. in body bags. NBC 1986. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I have no idea what show this could We got be. 1980. We got mid-80s NBC, and we got some heroin. The heroin drug smuggler. <laughs> Can I steel meal that? <laughs> yeah, how would steel meal works in this situation? Uh, she can steel meal this point, and then we'll go back to Jocelyn for the wrap. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Um, okay. It's Miami Vice, yeah? It is Miami oh, Vice. That's good for a point. of course. Because the Miami Vice is drugs. Was that Watergate dude, G. Gordon Liddy, John Dean, John Ehrlichman? G. Gordon Liddy? It's, it, in fact, is G. Gordon Liddy. Yay! And uh, that is round three. All right, Tara, scores, please. This game is still close. Cat is in the lead with 11 points. I have 10. Sarah has nine. Jocelyn has six. <laughs> All right. Now we're into round four. Everybody has one question. We're talking athletes, athlete guest stars for Sarah. Oh, no. Two of the girls have set up a charity hoops tournament, but Jesse is embarrassed to admit he can't play. So he gets coached by a Hall of Famer and his son. ABC 1995. And it's a boy, Jesse. The boy, Jesse. It. Uh, boy meets world. <laughs> <laughs> that show is full house. Oh. Was that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson? I don't know. And I really hope it was not Kareem. So I'm going to say Magic Johnson. Guess what? It was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No! 
dude, the guy was on, the guy was an airplane. Do you think he's not going to do Full House too? He was on Dancing with the Stars later. He just likes being on TV. I think he's a Veronica Mars writer. Leave me this one thing, please. <laughs> he was on that reality show Dive, where celebrities learn to dive. Shut up, Tara. Just <laughs> Here is your athlete question, Cat. Half the cast loves hanging out with a retired baseball player, but some hate him, claiming he spit on them during a 1987 game. They're proven wrong with a JFK-style breakdown of the game video. NBC, 1992. Feinfeld. Yeah! All right, what's that? Dwight Gooden, Gary Carter, Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez. Two points. Sarah would have been furious if you got that one wrong because picky, but you knew it, so it's okay. I knew it. I could hear it from here. (laughs) Crackle, crackle. In a TV movie sequel, Tara, to the original show, a sports team crash lands on the original cast Island Resort and has to play a match to save the island from an evil developer. NBC, 1981. Um, Fantasy Island? Shit. Gilligan's Island. Oh, God damn it. Oh, I guess by this time it became an island resort. Yeah. Gilligan okay. Island was still on in 81? No, it was a sequel. It was a mo- oh. TV movie. Oh. I remember this TV movie was extremely grim. The all-stars of the ABA, the amazing Mets, the Harlem Globetrotters. Harlem Globetrotters? Sure. It's always the Harlem Globetrotters. It is always the Harlem Globetrotters. All right. We do have the best theme song, let's face it. Rosalind. Uh, Rosalind. Jocelyn is going to... Uh, <laughs> Wrap up round four for us. Here is your athlete question. George is bummed out for days after he is shown alive on TV dropping a home run ball he could have caught at Yankee Stadium. So his wife goes to the player who had hit the ball to ask for help in cheering up her husband. CBS 1985. Uh, the Jeffersons? I don't know. Yay! Yay! <laughs> All right. That baseball player was Dave Winfield, Reggie Jackson, Willie Randolph. Dab in the dark, Willie Randolph. Mm. Damn. That's good old Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. Ah. All right. But you got the you got the Jeffersons. Well done. I would have guessed Winfield. Okay. Cat has 13. I have 11. Sarah has nine. Jocelyn has seven. <laughs> All right. The value guests are in a good spot here. Everybody has two questions, four points possible left. We're going to start with Sarah. We're talking miscellaneous. Could be anything. Maybe Coolio will pop up again. <laughs> Maybe this Senator is where that other dog. F- politician is going to be. Ambassador to the United <laughs> Nations, Coolio. All right, Sarah. A world-renowned yeah. artist offers to select a passenger as the subject of his next portrait. But a former model fears the artist will recognize her and reveal her secret past to her husband, played by Tom Bosley. ABC 1985. The Love Boat. All right. Was that renowned artist Andy Warhol, Jackson Pollock, Salvador Dali? (laughs) Warhol. Warhol. Sure. Warhol and the Love Boat. The 80s. (laughs) <laughs> uh, all right Kat. it's warhol the boys roll into a town in which an ancient goddess is feeding off the devotion of fans to celebrities and fights them in the form of a vapid celebutant cw 2009 oh oh i have no idea 
The boys roll into a town? Does that boys? give you any? Oh, yeah. Uh, supernatural. <laughs> All right. There you go. <clears throat> Those boys are always rolling places. All right. <laughs> so there's this ancient goddess feeding off the devotion of fans. Mm-hmm. We talking Kim Kardashian, Nicole Richie, Paris Hilton. I think it's Nicole Richie. You think? Incorrect. Mm-hmm. Ah. That's Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton. Tara. Yes. An American literary icon starts frequenting the inn's restaurant, but only ever orders iced tea, driving the chef mad. CW 2004. Inn. The hell has an inn on the CW? Ugh. It used to be the WB. Used to be UPN. Oh, I don't know. Charmed? Mm. I know that's not right. Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I tried, girl. I tried. I John Cheever. Yeah. Norman Mailer. Philip uh-huh. Roth. I think it's Norman Mailer. That is extremely twee. Okay. That is super <laughs> weird. Jocelyn, here is yes. your miscellaneous. A secondary character finds out she has skin cancer, teaching us all a lesson about wearing sunscreen. Also, something about professional wrestlers having a match at the beach which will somehow save a U-Send if the right guys win. But they forget about the last part pretty quickly. This was a syndicated show in 1996. It sure was. Uh, and the show that it was, was... The following, which is, of <laughs> course... Which is, of course, Mel Rose Blaze? <laughs> we had a couple good steel clues meal? there. We had Skid Oh, 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 Dave, Sarah wants to steel meal it. I do. And it's Baywatch. Oh. It is Baywatch. Yeah. Sunscreen, skin cancer. If Baywatch existed (laughs) for any reason, it was to save America's (laughs) skin. All right. So, Jocelyn, back to you for the guest of guest star. Andre the Giant, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Hulk Hogan. Oh, my heart says Andre, but my mind and the other part of my heart says Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Yay! All right, everybody's last question coming up. Tara, can you please give us the scores? I sure can. Kat has 14 points. Sarah and I are tied with 12 each. Jocelyn has eight. All right. You know what that means, Kat? Any point right here, and you've clinched the season for value guess. It's all I've ever dreamed of. All right. First, we're going to go to Sarah. This scientist plays a hologram of himself engaged in a card game with Einstein, Isaac Newton, and an android. Syndicated 93. Syndicated 93. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. That's a decent guess. Also the correct one. Hey! (laughs) This scientist who played a hologram of himself was Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Stephen Hawking. Ooh, that's a tough one. 93. Sure. Uh, yeah, 93. I think Sagan was dead by then, but regardless, I'm going to say uh, Hawking. Correct. Oh, and I believe Sarah. he wins. All right. This is it, Kat. Ready? All right. One of the thoroughly reprehensible leads of this fashion-adjacent London-based series hires a male escort and gets an actor who has since been named Sexiest Man Alive. BBC 1995. 
Is this absolutely fabulous? Guess what it is. <laughs> Get Who was the sexiest man alive? Idris Elba, Johnny Depp, Pierce Brosnan. Is it Pierce Brosnan? Oh, Idris Elba. Idris Elba. Oh, who still owes my brother 200 bucks. Yes, I'm not <laughs> letting that drop. <laughs> Tara. British yes. talk show rents out his spare room to an alien who proceeds to outdo him in every aspect of his life, including his football team, his relationship, and his job. BBC 2010. Talk show host, I think you mean. British talk show host, what'd I say? You just said talk show. Craig Ferguson, Graham yep. Norton, James right. Corden. Graham Norton. James Corden. James Corden. Uh, huh. All right. He was on more than one episode. Huh. Yeah, the the the, the Corden arc. <laughs> Jocelyn, our last question of the game. In one version of a story, the host of a popular syndicated show plays a man in black sent to hush up an alien abduction. Fox, 1996, one of the best cameos I think I've ever seen. Very good. In one version of the story? In one said? version of a story, the host of a popular syndicated show plays a man in black sent to hush up an alien abduction. It's like a Rashomon type of episode. Ah, okay. Fox um, 96. Fox 96. Um, ooh. Man in black. It feels like... Oh, Lou Ferrigno is only a thing in my head again. Uh, <laughs> stupid game brain. Uh, okay, come on, brain. You can do it. Um... Uh, Fox, mid-90s, still in his infancy. Uh, this is probably wrong. Outer Limits. You're so close. I think oh. the show you're thinking about is The X-Files. The X-Files. Oh, yeah. All right. Was that man in yeah. black? Alex Trebek, Pat Sajak, Regis Philbin. Is it? I'm going to say, ooh. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Alex Trebek. You are correct. Yeah! yeah! Canada! Bonus points if you can name his buddy, anybody. <laughs> there was two men in black. Alex Trebek was one, and the other one was Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah. Jesse Ventura. All right, final scores, please. All right. Jocelyn finished with nine. I had 13. Sarah had 14. Cat is our victor with 15! Yeah. Um, yeah. Beer, get to the official celebration i have this tiebreaker we are going to play it for two steel meals okay ever can guess what show all these celebrity guest stars are from shout it out shout it at any time i'm going to start reading them are you ready okay yep gene wilder madonna will and grace will and grace uh tara got to will and grace first but <laughs> Valued guest. Course five. Course one by one. Till you shout. Get out my nut. Every single after sleep as you digest. Tonight you'll prop your feet up. But for now let's eat up. Be our guest. Be our guest. Be our guest. Please be What a season for value guests. Woo! Almost a complete sweep. One game away from a complete sweep. Way to go, Cat. Well you. done, guys. Good job, Cat. Well done. And all of you valued guests out there. Yes. Good job, guys. 
Yes. All yes. right, guys, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We settled our bar tab at Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club and revealed our thoughts and predictions on The Masked Singer before going around the dial with stops at Tidying Up, Gary and His Demons, Project Runway All-Stars, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, and Luther and Black Mirror Bandersnatch for good measure. We turned to the stars <laughs> for answers on which TV universe we live in, while M took us across the universe with her unsuccessful timey-wimey pitch for Doctor Who's Midnight. <laughs> We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Kat was the winner of this week's game time, clinching the season for valued guests. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, like an immigrant, Sarah D. Bunting. I'm very respectable. I'm an icon. Kat Angus. Hey, Jocelyn, help me bury this body. <laughs> and Jocelyn Getty. <laughs> Football in the groin. Football in the groin. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time, right here on Extra. Not great. Ing shamble bubble dibble doobble. <laughs> Hans Mole Man Productions presents Man Getting Hit by Football. <laughs> <laughs> this contest is over. Give that man the $10,000. This isn't America's funniest home videos. But the ball is growing. It works at so many levels. Roll it again. <laughs>